0: I'm Alex Shaw,
1: I'm Sharon Shaw, and
0: And welcome welcome to to... School of Movies. Transformers, Age of Extinction, and The Last Night.
2: This is the greatest advance in modern physics since
3: the splitting of the atom. A rare metal, molecularly unstable... (laughs) It's what they're made of. Bring it up. All the way. You guys have never seen a truck like this before. Dad, you can't keep spending money on junk. I don't think it's a truck at all. I think we just found a transformer.
2: Dad! I'm going to ask you this once. Where is Optimus Prime? <laughs> After all we have done, humans are hunting us. But I fear we are all targets now.
1: What is that? Who sent you here? discussion and entertaining analysis of movies, games and media culture.
0: Welcome to The Digital Drift. This is a fragment of what Film Crit Hulk said about Transformers 4.
2: So there's this part in Transformers Age of Extinction where the Autobots suddenly encounter a super literal vagina dentata alien that's just hanging out in a cage. There's no reason for this to be happening on any level. It's just clearly stuck in for some motivational reason. But please understand that the reveal of the alien's vagina dentataness is not some placid cinematic moment, but instead highly emphasised this is clear, this is overt. So then the fat Autobot, one of the good guys by the way, is so revolted by this image that it tells this way too clear vagina symbol that it is too ugly to live. Then the vagina gets some slime on him and the fat Autobot collapses on the ground and thinks he's burning. But Then the fat Autobot just realizes it's just shiz, so he calls the vagina symbol bitch and shoots her dead. This literally happened. This literally happened in a movie that is ostensibly aimed at young kids and posturing the heroism of good guys. Hulk sat in that theatre and just kept thinking about that moment over and over and over again. How does something like this happen? An Autobot just killed a caged vagina for being that very thing. How does a studio film produce a moment like this? It's not like this is a vacuum There was likely an entire team of people who probably spent a whole month animating that scene, right? It's not like it's just Michael Bay's scrawled inept fanfiction, wherein all his psychosexual issues come to the forefront without a filter. But the truth is that that's exactly what this is like, and either no one noticed, or no one spoke up, or if they did speak up, they were simply overruled. This went through every level, and thus we are privy to a super-on-the-nose scene where you can peek into Michael Bay's oh-so-literal fear of vaginas. This happened. But this always happens every time Hulk sees a Michael Bay movie. Hulk is reminded that he does these kinds of things. Which, perhaps in a sad way, constantly reminds Hulk that he is one of the most weirdly fascinating filmmakers on the planet please don't mistake that for a statement implying his films are worth seeing or are actively fascinating to watch. No, they're overlong, boring slogfests that spew so much hateful, sexist, homophobic and racist garbage all under the pretense of that winking this-is-the-way-it-should-be brand of humour that makes you want to go out into the lobby and reconcile your humanity for a while. Which just makes the idea that he's insanely popular all the more troubling. But yeah, after you comb through the drudgery of the experience and its popular reception, one that is probably as close as you can come to staring into the void, then you can actually stand back and calmly appraise the ways his sociopathic view of the universe manifests on screen.
0: There's a lot more to that. I recommend you read it. Funnily enough, we did this whole podcast before I read that, and there's a lot of stuff about Michael Bay basically not understanding how people work. That seems to corroborate everything that we've been saying for these past few movies. Oh, and one more thing to corroborate the idea that the Transformers make us sad, and that's one of the major reasons why we love them. You ever notice how the Autobot symbol is crying? Crying. One more rather unexpected review. I wasn't going to see Age of Extinction, but I offered the community the option to buy my cinema ticket for me. That way I wouldn't have to directly feed the Beast. A fellow named Eric Caron made the donation, so you can thank him for the existence of this episode. Yes, the studio and Bay still get a bit of extra money but it wasn't mine, and I can only assume Eric would have spent it on delicious frosty beer or Jaffa cakes anyway, so I can focus on what the movie was and not what else I personally could have spent the cash on. We're going to try something new. Sharon, having not seen this, is going to be my Simon Mayo, and I will answer each and every one of her questions to give everyone an idea of what watching this movie is like.
1: To get an overall assessment of your experience of watching the fourth installment in the Bayformers saga. How did you feel going in, and how did you feel coming out?
0: That's a fair question. The idea being that, you know, did I go in going, oh, this is going to be crap, isn't it? And then, of course, I didn't enjoy it because I wasn't prepared to enjoy it. Why would I go in to a movie hoping not to enjoy something? Uh, I actually, I went in going, there is a possibility that the people saying this is the best one yet are right, at least in terms of me. I'm not saying that everyone who who loved this film is wrong. Why would I say that? It's ridiculous. It's just a case of they and I don't see eye to eye on this matter at all. And that's fine. You know, different strokes for different folks. But I really can't see what they saw in this film. Uh, I went in going, oh, yeah might 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 be good, might be a few bits, you know, worthy of note. Might might may might be the second best, maybe, might be the best. Maybe it will be the best. I went in optimistic, as I almost always do. The last film that I actually saw in the cinema that I didn't want to see. Let's work this one out, shall we? Okay. The last film that I really thought I wasn't going to like and went to the cinema and really didn't like was Constantine.
1: What goes around, comes around.
0: Co-starring Shia LaBeouf.
1: Ah.
0: (laughs) So, yeah. Um, That's why this is a weird one because basically after um, the Cineworld place, uh, Mm -hmm. it was – was it a Cineworld or was it something else? In Ashford.
1: Uh, it was a UG... Oh, in Ashford. Um, no, Ashford was a Cineworld, but this was before Cineworld had merged with UGC and yeah, started doing
0: the cards. Because the one in Crawley had actually been a UGC when we were doing the cards. That's so had- right. So a Cineworld yeah. in Ashford, so we had to start paying. So you had to then be choosy about what you go to see because, you know, why would you go to see something that's not g- great? So, you know, you're... you're after that, basically, I've been sort of, you know, only paying to... This. So this, basically... Uh, the reason I'm going into this is because now that I live very close to a cinema and can organise this kind of thing, it means that the, the the gates have been opened. You guys can say, Alex, we really want you to go and see Maleficent, and I can go and see it. You know.
1: That's a dangerous statement to make.
0: <laughs> you know what? If I can, I will. I'll put it like that. And if I, if I if I can't see it on the cheap days, today was a cheap day. Uh, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays I can do it for six pounds. Normally it's seven pounds eighty. If anyone wants to throw me the cash for a ticket, I will go see whatever is on on my local uh, Odeon. Okay, that that is my promise to you guys. I will reserve the right to say no <laughs> on certain things. But you know, if it, it's it's not like I'm not a jukebox. You can't just throw money at it and expect a show immediately. But you know, if it's worth talking about, then I'll talk about it.
1: I was going to say, one presumes you're going to be reviewing all of these films.
0: To make it worthwhile for the people uh, donating the money for it, even if it's just a small review on one of our upcoming Driftwood shows. Mm. Hmm. Anyway, so the beginning of the film, we got a Guardians of the Galaxy trailer, and it's that really boring Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. And I realized that that was the one that was created for the Transformers Age of Extinction audience. That's not to say that everyone who liked this film is a dull-witted simpleton, but that's what they think of you. <laughs> that's what the people who who market Age of Extinction think of you, and that's why they sent in this really dull kind of, you know, it's, we have to save the universe, no one else can, that kind of trailer. It's just, it's, it's really, it's, it's everything that's happened in the Transformers films, only... The Marvel Cinematic Universe is actually full of some really great humor, which um, Transformers never managed. So it's almost like they would be throwing off their their uh, target audience by introducing the humor of the uh, more offbeat uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the earlier trailers, trailer two and three. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, trailers one and two. Okay, so
1: any questions? Well, you've kinda of said how you felt going in. How did you feel coming out?
0: You saw how I felt. I lay on the sofa and moaned.
1: Yeah, I did.
0: It sucked Your the life out of me. It sucked the life and soul out of me, just watching it. It was so exhausting and tedious. I I left the cinema not like not angry. Not even really disappointed. I got you know, what I, I expected really, <laughs> you know. It's like going to eat at a really shitty kebab shop. You know, You, it's... Well, what do you expect this time around? You know, maybe it'll be good. Of course it's not going to be good. I knew it wasn't going to be good. That doesn't mean I didn't hope it would be good. What killed the dinosaurs, Sharon?
1: If it wasn't Michael Bay.
0: (laughs) It was Michael Bay. Was it? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, At the beginning of this film... We find out what killed the dinosaurs. The Ice Age. No, it was Megatron. Megatron. Awesome. It was some visitors from another planet. Here's the thing. They kind of introduced this other species of um, automated robot, but they never explain it.
1: So somebody came along and pushed a Decepticon up the bottom of a Tyrannosaurus Rex and the result was Grimlock.
0: I think this actually predates the whole Autobot Decepticon split. Okay. Yeah. Um, they basically, they hit the Earth with a big thing called a seed, which basically covered the uh, uh, big chunks of the planet uh, in an ore that later on gets referred to as uh, transformium. Really? And that transformium did... there, <laughs> which led to the death of the dinosaurs.
1: Right, okay. Mind you, having said that, Cybertronium... Yeah. That, that comes from Cybertron. Cause every mineral that's ever been found on Earth is not called Earthium.
0: Well, no, yeah, we've, we've got Earthium. Anyway, um, so yeah, there, there's a thing called a seed. Now, pay attention 007, the seed is going to be our MacGuffin. And, uh, remember the, the cosmic cube, not the fucking cosmic cube, the cube, the cube from Transformers 1. Yes. It does pretty much the same thing. Megatron wants it, and everyone's chasing it, and they've got to get it to a place, but of course the thing, the Decepticons go to the place to pick it up anyway. So what's the point of getting it to the place in the first place? It's just to set up the big action sequence. It's so by rote. It's exactly the same. Again. So anyway, these guys, it would appear, are the uh, maybe the, uh, oh my God, it's just Prometheus. Okay, I'm going to mention Robot many DNA. I'm going to mention many other uh movies which this film apes, not including Planet of the Apes. Um but th- this is obviously Prometheus. It's like it starts at the beginning and it goes, "Oh, the beginning of mankind there was the Transformers." But they've done that already in Transformers 2, but we were natives at the time. This is like um uh, they're, they're talking about these alien overlords who created the Transformers, the, these uh, robot gods, the Prometheans, or the Protheans, or the Forerunners, or the whatever the fuck you want to call them. Maybe, maybe the sons did it. Either way, um, we'll call these guys um, the Prometheans, shall we? May as well, for the sake of argument, because they never get given a name. They may as well be the Decepticons. They're just as one-dimensional. No, but they re- they return repeatedly th- throughout the film, and it's met various action. Okay, so, then we meet Marky Mark on his farmy farm, doing his crazy inventing. We're having a, uh, a meeting and deciding who you're going to cast as the crazy inventor, the guy who's, you know, creating various machines. Who's the first person who springs to mind? Somebody, like, really smart and, you know, fun to watch. It's, it's Mark Wahlberg, obviously, you know. So you get this guy who looks like a failed quarterback, and um, uh, he's buying a, a movie camera at a movie theater and from someone because he wants to turn it into something, um, and then he sees Optimus Prime in the back of the theater and buys Optimus Prime and then takes it back to his farmy farm, and his name is – brace yourself, Sharon – his I'm name right. is Cade Yeager.
1: I told you.
0: It's spelt different. It's Y-A-E-G-E-R. But it's almost like they're trying to devalue the word Jaeger.
1: And the the Transformer that's called Drift?
0: I'll I'll talk about him in a bit.
1: No, I know. But I said when I read that that they were having a pop at... um,
0: I don't even think Michael Bay has a pop. I don't even think he's that subtle. But uh, either way, I, I would I would probably say it's Aaron Kruger doing this. Either way, so we meet Mark Wahlberg. In all seriousness, much as I hate Mark Wahlberg and as dull and witless an on-screen presence he is, he's not annoying in the same way as Shia Labeouf was. Okay. He basically traipses through this movie, and he's Bruce Willis in Armageddon. Y- you seen Armageddon? Yes. You know how Bruce Willis acted? Yes. It's that. Right. Maybe a bit less uh, hot-tempered.
1: Does he chase Ben Affleck round a pipeline with a bit of wood?
0: Yes. More on that in a second. Um, He has a funny friend who looks a bit like Napoleon Dynamite, (laughs) who says funny things and does funny stuff and gets a football in the face. And um, his farm is uh, for sale because he's behind on his rent payments. Um, And Marcy from... uh, uh magnolia comes round, cleo king where as a realtor showing some people the estate and uh you know fat people are funny black people are funny shouting fat black people are funny and uh it's, i'm amazed this scene actually only went on for a short while and uh, didn't actually involve her cussing and, and hollering it's less racist than the first three
1: i was about to ask whether how does he do on the racism and misogyny it's
0: still one? racist I mean, I don't want to put my hands together and go, you're only a bit racist this time. But really, it is only a bit racist this time. It's only really a bit racist, like, say, 90s Disney is a bit racist.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: That's a big drop-off from the, the twins in part two.
1: See, I would say 90s Disney is racist in the sort of affectionately culturally insensitive kind of way.
0: Yeah. Well, then then he's raised the bar.
1: Okay. So he manages to be affectionately, culturally insensitive.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then we also meet Nicola Peltz as Tessa Jaeger, his horrible daughter. Now, if you were sitting with me in the cinema, I imagine there were several points during this film when you would have gripped my arm in a kind of, I fucking hate her, Alex. I hate her. Because... This is a. I mean, again, to be fair, she's not really a horrible person. She's just somebody who has no business being in a Transformers movie. Both the actress, who's awful, she, if you guys remember, if you've all seen the last Airbender movie, she was the girl who dressed up as and pretended to be Katara in that film. Hmm. She's not a bad person. I certainly don't think the actress is a bad person at heart. And the character is not a bad person at heart. But she's the kind of person that when the bullets start flying goes... "Ah!" She reminded me most of Willie Scott in Temple of Doom, only without being funny. And she was never really oh, supposed yeah. to be funny. Willie Scott's obviously meant to be pitched to be, she shouldn't be here. But this, it's more of a case of, you know, if you're a dad and your daughter's stuck in this situation, she's screaming and you've got to get her out of it. You know, that's what dads do. huh? huh? And Marky Monk's definitely there to appeal to the dads in the audience.
1: If you're a dad and you haven't taught your daughter by the age of, what, 16?
0: Well, here's the thing. She's 16, Mm -hmm. And Marky Mark has told her, you may not fuck anyone. You may not date anyone. We are a no dating house. Rule number one, no dating dating till you you graduate. graduate. Rule number two, no dating till you graduate. And I'm sure that in their own special way, they were trying to do the same thing throughout the film. The idea that he's being too harsh on her. you got to f- let her f- be free to go and, you know, get her end away. She's 16 years old. And he's like, I just worry about you because I had you uh, just before graduation. You were a mistake. But you were the no, – he doesn't no. – she says, oh, I was a mistake. And he goes, no, no, you were the best thing that ever happened to me. And, you know, he seems relatively heartfelt about that. But he's like, you just you just must not have sex with anyone ever. And it's really creepy because he kind of puts her vagina in a box. And it's like, no, this is mine. This is my pussy. You don't get to do anything with it, okay? And every time she starts to sort of push against these boundaries, he's like, no, 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 you get back in your room, little child. This, That's my pussy there. And it's really fucking creepy. Just, I mean, again, he's well-meaning. I'm sure Mark Wahlberg isn't as psychotic as some of this comes off as, but... Ah, uh, mm, yeah. It's gone from leery shots of Megan Fox bending over a car to leery shots of Mark Wahlberg's daughter, but not quite as leery. And Mark Wahlberg pretty much looking at the camera and going, hey, don't be looking at my daughter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. We now, were. If-
0: Actually, uh, this, I really wasn't. I don't find her even the remotest bit attractive.
1: If they did not have, at some point, Marky Mark emerge from behind the screen and, like... Threatened to punch people for looking at his daughter. My point was that if, as a father, you have allowed your daughter to get to 16 years old and not taught her anything about how to deal with crisis situations other than get behind me, then you fucked up.
0: Maybe so. Um, it, it's basically exactly the same as uh, Armageddon, only um, Liv Tyler was playing Grace as a young adult obviously definitely of age definitely old enough to be making her own decisions and Liv Tyler has an on-screen presence Liv Tyler has a fire inside her and ultimately you know Ben Affleck like the guy in this is a, is a relatively likable guy and you're kind of supposed to be on their side and and uh, see the dad as being a you know way too protective but here's the thing it keeps coming back throughout the movie over and over again. It's not like it's at the beginning and then later on, you know, like he reprises it once and goes, yeah, you just keep away from my daughter. You know, we got this thing going on. Every conversation between him and his daughter is about her keeping her pussy in her pants. Yeah. So male obsession with the sexual organs of females, still not abated.
1: Marvellous. Still there. Marvellous. So if you're not attempting to tap them, then you're... Owning them in some other capacity.
0: I mean, uh, this can be done funny. This can be done right. Ten things I heard about you is exactly how to do it funny and right. Uh, And ultimately, the dad learns at the end, you know, that maybe uh, you have to meet Heath Ledger. Now, unfortunately, we can't.
1: (laughs) Nobody can ever do that again. But, yeah, at the end of Ten Things, he actually sits down and has a conversation with Cat that makes it apparent why he's been so overprotective of them all this time Um, and he's honest about his standpoint in all of this i'm guessing that doesn't happen
0: also he spends every day arm deep in placenta Placenta.
1: well yes there is. he is literally constantly delivering babies to teenage mothers yeah he has a genuine reason to be overly paranoid
0: and they play it for laughs this is kind of more played for drama
1: Mm. yeah see if if As a parent who had been a very young parent themselves and you felt that 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 was something that had taken your life off course and you didn't want to see your child repeat that, surely emphasis on safe sex would be the way to go. You're 16, right, let's get you down the GP and, and, you know, would you like to go on the pill but or I, I, something along then, those lines. Then books. there's
0: no tension because they've got to give this guy something to relate to with his daughter. And Aaron Kruger is a very half-witted screenwriter. He can't really string a character together, so he has to give him one thing. This is Marky Mark's one thing. He likes inventing and he likes obsessing about his daughter's genitals. Ugh.
1: And he hasn't manufactured a chastity belt yet?
0: No. You'll wear the belly.
3: <laughs> Bring it up. All the way. A truck?
2: Dad, please tell me you didn't spend our money on oh, it. No,
3: don't worry, he didn't. He spent my money, 150 bucks of it. Yeah, as an advance on your regular paycheck. What regular paycheck? Which you will get back. When? Never. We're broke. I knew it. Sweetheart. Could you please not drive a wedge between employer and employee? Hold on, I thought we were partners. Look, I came up short, okay? I had to buy her a prom dress. You want me to deny her a prom dress? Might as well, you denied her a prom date. No, I offered to take her and chaperone. Nobody wants to go to the dance with their dad. It's weird. It's not the issue. Well,
2: maybe it should be.
3: Sweetheart, your shorts are shrinking by the second, okay? Upskirt shot.
0: Cold water air dry, please. Okay, so, cut two. The savage death of an Autobot. It seems since Chicago, uh, the, the American government has declared war on all Transformers, uh, including the Autobots. So basically, uh, after the cleanup of Chicago, in which many, many thousands of people died, um, they turned on the Autobots and started actually hunting them. And Optimus Prime sent out a uh, message to all Autobots to not trust the humans and to try to get to safety and hide. And that's what he's been doing for all these years. He, he's uh, a battered old Peterbilt. Uh, now and he's been hiding i think he he basically we find out later he took a missile in the chest and then transformed and it didn't explode but basically he's been in in a coma effectively Um,
1: has somebody provided him with some sort of little electromagnetic power device to put on his chest to keep the missile from exploding
0: I, i don't know it's defective okay they uh, they use it for a comedy bit later on where it flies into the house and flies around all the rooms. It's hilarious. Oh marvelous! Um, so yeah, the uh, the um the the Ameri- you know the, the nest scenario in the second film where they sort of track down the Decepticons. Yes. Exact same thing. Only this Autobot who's hiding in a the house. They chase down the street and uh, start gunning down. They surround him and he's uh, holding up his hands, going, "No, please, I'm an Autobot. It's Ratchet, begging for his life." And then uh, a new uh, robot turns up. Uh, He's black, so you know he's definitely evil. Uh, He's tall. He's um, imposing. He walks with a little bit of a kind of a gunslinger swagger, and uh, he turns his whole head into a gun. This is who I thought Galvatron was in the trailer. It's actually not. His name is um, Lockdown. He's one of these uh, unaffiliated bots that I mentioned before. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he represents the the ones who made the Autobots and the Decepticons. The, we'll call them the makers, shall we? Okay. A, sod the Prometheans. Um, and uh, he just railguns Ratchet to death. Ratchet is horribly killed before our eyes. And I should feel sad because Jeffrey Combs, Ratchet, and uh, obviously classic Ratchet from the uh, 80s TV show – you know, I, I, I like I like the cat. I, I loved Jeffrey Combs' Ratchet from uh, Transformers Prime. But this Ratchet, I never really got to know. So it was like, I guess Ratchet's dead then. <sighs> and, and that's the thing. The, the, tra- the Autobots have been hunted for years now, it seems. Years and years. So Marky Mark reactivates Optimus Prime with jump leads or something. And Prime explodes out all over the barn and sort of like, you know, like slamming everyone up against the wall. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. And basically he's like, he's like, he's shell shocked. He's delirious. He's furious. He's threatening. And, um, he's obviously been through some incredible amounts of trauma. So if you want to read as much into it as possible, The events at the end of the third film have indeed taken a terrible toll on his brain. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But they never address it. He never addresses it. It's not characterization. It's only there if you read it.
1: Right. Okay.
0: Optimus has snapped like a dry reed. I'm sorry to say... Uh, the uh, the Prime that we knew from who was last seen in uh, Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen uh, does not come back. He's uh, he, he's never going to be the Peter Cullen Optimus Prime that we uh, met in the first Transformers film, or that we knew and loved in uh, the uh, uh, original show, or that we know and love from Transformers Prime. This isn't actually Optimus Prime. It's not Optimus Prime. <laughs> And that's what I shall continue to call him, because there has been a swap out somewhere along the way. They've still got Peter Cullen voicing him, but in the same way as that's not Galvatron, that was never Megatron, this isn't Optimus. I will accept that the the way they did Bumblebee in an interesting new way, I could call him Movie Bumblebee. But this isn't really me being all fanish. It's it's just me, um, I refuse to observe that these are actually characters anymore. I won't. They aren't. Simple as that. There, there's no characterization going on, they're just skins, so why should I refer to them by their character names? Okay. Uh, so the new head of the CIA, uh, is also, a, he's like a special robot hunting force, all of these people who hunt down them. Um, the uh, Autobots. Something they, they've taken out the Decepticons. He, he throws down like so you know the, the pack of fifty-two. The um, the, the terrorist leaders that uh, exist in real life, where they have you know all the the, the heads that the CIA and the uh, military want to get hold of. Mm-hmm. Because once you take them out, suddenly this Hydra of terrorism is is having to grow back heads from out of nowhere. Um, most of the Autobots and Decepticons are now dead, thanks to Kelsey Grammer. And it will surprise you to know that Kelsey Grammer is the best thing in this film. Okay. He commits to this role. He's very serious about it. Uh, as far as he's concerned, uh, uh, Atinger, it's us or them. It's, it's the humans or the robots. Now, it's not his fault that the film makes no sense of his motives. We'll go into that a bit later. But basically, he's the one hounding the Autobots. He's the one executing them effectively. And he's in league. With this lockdown bot.
1: But we don't know why.
0: Lockdown wants hold of Optimus Prime, but we don't know why. Before, during, or after he gets hold of him. (sighs) Anyway, the White House Chief of Staff meets with Attinger and um, says, Hi, it's my first day, and uh, you know, the Podus would like a word with you, and you know, wants to have a meet and greet, press the flesh, and uh, maybe meet this Optimus Prime. And uh, Attinger fills him in and says, no, the Autobots are being hunted now. It's like 22 minutes into the film. We've seen – it is manifestly so. We've seen Ratchet shot to pieces. We've seen posters of Bumblebee with the word hate above them in like the most like – you couldn't actually publish this kind of propaganda in the 21st century America. It doesn't work like that. You can't just put Bumblebee's face and then hate in red above it. That doesn't say anything. That actually raises a lot more questions about what your government is trying to say.
1: Especially if the President of the United States appears not to know that this is what's being said.
0: Well, the Chief of Staff, I I honestly wanted to get Leo McGarry sat beside me, John Spencer, even John Spencer, who acted as the Chief of Staff, and say, could this man ever have got the position of White House Chief of Staff? He doesn't know anything. And you know that bit in uh, The Rock where uh, a, a young guy questions Hummel and uh, Hummel says, I was cutting throats in uh, Laos and southern China before you were out of high school. Um, that guy at least seemed like he was probably too young to be chief of staff. One of the most important job roles in the world, I might add. You need somebody with the experience and gravity of a John Spencer to really fulfill this role. But at least it seemed like he was relatively on the ball. But this guy, I don't even know why he's here. It seems to be a really clumsy stab at the Obama administration. Which is weird, because in the, the original Transformers 2007, we never mentioned this in the review, there's like a pair of red socks That are masking what's supposed to be George W. Bush, going, Can I have some ho ho's? to the Stewardess. (laughs) So I guess any administration doesn't get off lightly. Fair enough. Anyway, so this is just this whole scene is only there to establish that he's definitely the head of the blah blah CIA splinter group and that the POTUS has to answer to him. Because he says, No, I ain't doing no interviews and you can't shake the hand of Optimus Prime. He's an enemy of America. So, the funny friend, do you remember I mentioned him before?
1: Yeah. Oh, the one who looks like Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah,
0: the one who right. looks like Napoleon Dynamite. It's like, oh, whoa, well, cool, totally kick ass. Um, you know, what freaks out about the fact that Optimus Prime is there, and especially when Optimus Prime starts threatening to kill everyone. Um, and uh, phones a, a hotline where they offer you a, a, g- a check for 25 grand if you have a uh, Autobot and they can capture it. And uh, so some agents uh, say that they're going to come around with a check. They don't come around with a check. They come around with a fucking SWAT team. <laughs> Who didn't expect that to happen? <laughs> so Marky Mark comes out of his barn, and talks to the uh, head agent, uh, Titus Welliver, who you probably won't remember, uh, but he's been in almost all of Ben Affleck's films. Uh, he was in Argo, Gone Baby Gone and the Town. He's a very professional kind of actor. He's, he's kind of like a younger, trimmer, Tom Sizemore without the drug problems. Uh, okay. He plays Agent James Savoy in this. He's not really much fun. He's not really all that compelling. But again, just like Kelsey Kramer, who he, he's the sort of like lackey of, he takes it very seriously. And Marky Mark says, you know... <sighs> I don't know if you know this, but, uh, you know, we're, we're in Texas right now, sir. And they got rules about messing with folks who come from Texas. Now, let me go back to what we hated about the original Transformers movies. We hated them because of the whole cult of we're special. Now, the whole don't mess with Texas thing is because everyone who says that and comes from Texas believes that they're special because of where their mother's pussy was when they were born. You're just lucky to be born in Texas and to be living that close to the Alamo Drafthouse. The whole, don't mess with Texas because we're more special than everybody else and we're tougher or we'll kick your ass. Invoking that at that exact moment just made me go, at that exact moment. Don't mess with Texas. No offense, of course, intended to anyone who comes from Texas. I happen to know that we've got several listeners who come from Texas. All of them that I know of are all good eggs. In fact, I talked to a couple of them and found out that Don't Mess With Texas is actually a slogan from the 1980s. And it was about picking up litter in Texas and making sure that the state was very clean. Not, don't start fights with us because we're special and we'll kick your ass. Good on you guys from Texas. I guarantee not one of them has ever said, don't mess with Texas. Especially not in a bar fight. (laughs) How does that work, actually? If you're both from Texas, having a ball fight in Texas, you're like, I don't want to mess with you. I don't want to mess with you either, because we're both from Texas.
3: Uh Uh-uh, man. Nah, man. You don't want to rile me, man. You just rile the wrong motherfucker, man. Nah, you don't even know, man. I'm I'm the last guy you want to fuck with, man, because you don't know me, man. I fucking kill your ass, man. You don't even know, man, because you don't know, man. I'm like a motherfucking earthquake, wrapped in a hurricane, <laughs> nestled in a box of tsunamis, man. You da, that's what I am, man. I'm fucking kick your ass. I'm like a motherfucking natural disaster times triplicate, man. <laughs> fucking waiting to kick your ass. You don't even know, man, because I'm trained in super secret martial arts, man. Shit, I can't even tell you, man. I had to live underwater for a year, man, learn this shit. I can't even avow any of this stuff. I got tricks. I know fucking 43 ways to kill you with a pimento, my man. So don't fuck with me. You don't want to fuck with me because I know super ninja shit, man. Like, right now, I just turned invisible. You didn't even know that. I just turned invisible, man. You see, you looking at me because you hear my voice saying that's that. But I just turned invisible. You think you see me, but I just put all my visibility on to you. So you double visible now. What you gonna do, motherfucker? You can run, you can't hide, man. I'll fucking find your ass, cause you fucking double visible, I'm invisible. So fucking, that negates itself, man. So we both disappear. How about that shit, man? You don't even know, man. I'm fucking, I, I know a super secret way to fucking, I just take my eyelash, man. Take my eyelash, go beep, you know? And then you fucking put it in your eye and you fucking dead, man. You dead for an hour. You don't even know it, man. You've been walking around thinking you alive, but you've been dead for an hour, man, going, Hey, man, this jukebox, okay, I'm going to play some Mozart, Martin, Dead You know, whatever, man. You don't even know, man. You dead. I'm laughing at you, man, all invisible and shit, just laughing at you. Man, because I'm you opened up the wrong motherfucking can of worms, bitch. You opened up the wrong can of worms, man, because this, this is you going, Oh, man, what's this can of worms? I'm going to try this can of worms out, man. See what's up in here, man. And you just looking at Look at that. ain't nothing but... Stupid little can of worms. What's that about? I don't give a shit about that little can of worms. Then when your back's turned, all them worms climb up on top of each other, form one big worm! And kill you with this worm-like veracity! That's what it, that's what it is.
0: Anyway, Optimus Prime on listening to this, it's like the bit with the Jew Hunter at the beginning of Inglorious Bastards Only Done Really Shit listens to this agent, basically throws the girl to the ground, puts a gun to her head and goes, I'm going to shoot her. And and Marky Mark is like, no, don't shoot my daughter. And it's like, "Mm, this is still a PG-13. Yep, okay, well, that's fair enough. I'm going to shoot her in the head. Going to shoot her in the head. Once again, government agents acting way outside their jurisdiction or like this fictional jurisdiction they're given. Again, not saying this doesn't happen, but if we ever see a government agent acting within their jurisdiction in one of these Transformers movies, I will be very surprised. And Optimus Prime bursts out of the barn there's a big fucking shootout. Uh the uh the the awesome looking Lamborghini that uh lockdown transforms into draws up and it's like, oh my god, there's gonna be a big fight, I don't care at all. And then um, Marky Mark and his uh um the funny friend and daughter jump into the rally car that's just pulled up outside their house. And it turns out to be the daughter's boyfriend who just happened to be driving by or something. Maybe he came by to see her. I don't know. He's called Shane Dyson. He's played by Jack Rayner, who apparently uh, was picked for this role because he was in, I believe it was a film called What Richard Did. And basically, you know, he's a decent actor. And he is the only person who manages to get out of this movie um, from the Goody team not seeming like an absolute prick. He's not particularly fun or exciting or interesting. He's not funny. He doesn't make me laugh. He doesn't make me cheer. There's nothing particularly, like AJ in Armageddon had a cockiness about him that made you laugh and want to punch him. But at the same time, um, Ben Affleck gave it this full-throated, overly hammy performance that probably, you know, earned him all that bile as, uh, you know, when he got chosen for Batman. Um, But yeah, you you can't, he's an on-screen presence. Um, this guy, he's just sort of there and not crap. That's basically what he manages. So there's a big car chase. They they drive through the fields. They drive through the town. They drive down the roads. They drive over the roads. They drive through the car parking lot. There's a big car jump. And the editing suddenly goes completely fucking to par. Uh, the editing's not particularly fantastic anyway, but there are definitely some points throughout the film where you're like, hang on a second, did I miss some in between frames here because so like, you know, Optimus is driving down the road now cause he got away from the agents uh, and lockdown is also in pursuit along a different road. And then, um, it cuts to a point where uh the, the goodies are driving in their car they round a corner of a building and it's sort of sort of a wide shot and optimus and lockdown are climbing over the roofs in the middle of a fight You're like hang on a second neither of them turned up and transformed there was no establishing shot that these guys met transformed acknowledged each other and then engaged in combat they're already fighting when did this fucking happen and then there's a uh, other moment later on where um Marky Mark and company are dropped down by helicopter, or at least they, they seem to be, because the, heli- the spaceship thing turns up, and then in the next scene they're on a roof talking to some people, but you never actually see, because they're too focused on the fact that the spaceship crashes, the, the joining few frames where Marky Mark and company get out of the spaceship and onto the roof. It's all the establishing, not as important as the money shots.
1: I would say, but it's the establishing that makes the money shots worth anything. But if he knew this, we wouldn't have got so irate at Transformers Two and Three.
0: Well, that's the thing. Everyone compliments Michael Bay on his technical abilities. Oh, he's really good at composing a shot. He's really good at shoot filming, uh, you know, a scene. He's he makes it really very kinetic and very arresting. You know, it's a rubbish film, but you got to admit it's fantastic to look at. It's actually not, not for me. It's boring to look at it's the same composition every single time it's tedious because his films go on for way too long he always outstays his welcome and he keeps making films it's tedious i'm not gonna i actually don't have huge amounts of vitriol for the guy i i i there's i can't really hate i'm not going to devote hate to the guy i hate the fact that he's constantly in work, I suspect that at some point he's going to have a compound nervous breakdown because of everything he's done throughout his life. And he's going to, if, if we're lucky, he's going to wake up, he's going to not be able to go to sleep in the middle of the night and he's going to be staring at a screen and he's going to realize he hates himself. No, 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 that's not it. He hates his place in the world. And then he'll sit down and he'll type out a mission statement. And he'll give it to everyone in Hollywood. And then he'll be fired. And he'll have to go and do his own Michael Bay pictures. But because he's a billionaire, he'll be able to afford it. He can work on his own. We need a Jerry Maguire Michael Bay film. Ladies and gentlemen, director and
2: producer Michael Bay. Good afternoon.
3: Thanks, Good afternoon, Michael. How is everyone today? Uh, my job as a director is I get to dream for a living Michael, you know you're known for such unbelievable action what, what inspires you how, how do you come up with these unbelievable ideas? Um, I create visual worlds that are so beyond every, everyone's normal life experiences and Hollywood is a place that creates uh, a viewer escape and um, what I try to do is I, as a director I try to Ah, the type is all off. Sorry, but I'll just wing this. Tell us what you think. Yeah, we, we'll just we'll, we'll wing it right now. Um, I take I try to take people on an emotional ride, and um, the curve. How does it? Uh, how do you think it's going to impact uh,
0: how viewers experience your movies?
3: Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: Okay. Ladies and Ladies gentlemen, gentlemen let's, let's thank Michael Bay for joining us. But either way, there's a bit at the beginning when Marky Mark's on his farmy farm and he's... he's uh, like standing on the porch, one leg up, looking at the
1: um, <laughs> one leg up. What's he doing? Peeing on the porch?
0: That would be something. No, I'd like. I, he's taken a knee to the uh, the side of the porch, so he's sort of staring out across the fields, and like the the cameras sort of moving sideways, and you sort of you get to see a sweep of the fields, and the tree has fairy lights in it, and it's basically saying, you know what? He may be way overdue on his uh, debts, and he may be f- forfeiting this farm, and he may not be perfect. But this man has everything that everyone wants, which is a good old farm and good old honest American work. This is a film for rednecks. It's not as obnoxious as the Larry the Cable Guy movie. It's not a million miles off. There's a certain amount of snobs versus slobs going on. Anyway, it's a big car chase. At the end, remember I mentioned lockdown was there?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, He just totally fucking kills the funny guy. I was really pleased with that. Because I hated the funny guy. He wasn't funny. I was just like, oh, good. No more jokes from that guy. He sucks. And he, he that's terrible. You're supposed to go, oh, he was funny. He made me laugh. Oh, a person's been horribly killed. But all I could see him as was an addition to the movie that had just been subtracted. During the car chase, by the way, uh, Shane Dyson, the who's like a rally car driver, um, <laughs> oh, God, um, says grab my stick and yank it hard to um, the daughter. And Marky Mark goes, huh, what? Don't say that to my daughter. And he says, sir, your daughter has the best hands in the business. Now, obviously, that was written to be horrible and leery and like, huh, huh, huh. but somehow, Jack Rayner has enough dignity to be able to deliver the line totally straight. And it's actually like, well, you could read into that uh, a double entendre, but the way he said it actually seemed like he just meant to say that it's almost like he's defying Aaron Kruger's shitty smut. And the way that the it's almost like that kind of humor is trying to infiltrate the movie. And he's like, okay, I'll say it, but I ain't going to commit to that. Okay. I'm not going to sort of leer at her and go grab my stick. He retains his humanity. But basically, what he means is, you know, give me a good old wank off. And, uh, you know, whether you like it or not, pops. This girl has been greasing poles. Anyway, uh, what he means is pull the handbrake and I'll do a handbrake turn. And then, uh, as it turns out, like, she's the um navigator in his rally car thing. Do you know what I would be totally fucking freaked out by? Lyra being a navigator in a rally car circuit and not telling me. I think the sex angle would probably be less of a, of a thing for me, you know, because...
1: Well, if you look purely at the odds, the sex chance of at is least less injury. likely to kill you.
0: I don't know. I don't know what the stats are, but, like, the whole fact that she's going behind her father's back... But, you know, he's just such a hard-ass about the whole sex thing, I can't, I can't fucking blame her for at least like, having to carve out... Uh, she is just waiting. Waiting for the moment she graduates so she can get the fuck away from him. She can't stand this guy. And because she can't stand this guy, we can't stand her. Because she just she's so petulant and whiny the whole time. Dad, you can't run my life for me! It's like, oh my God, could you drop this girl off by the side of the road, please? She doesn't belong in this movie. Don't kill her. Don't incinerate her. Just leave her somewhere. <laughs> but she's there the whole time. So the funny guy buys it. Um, I'll mention the awful editing. The awful score... I said the first one has a occasionally very arresting score. Third one has a competent if cribbed from Hans Zimmer score. This time it just sounds like, do you know that trailer music which isn't actually by anyone or from anyone, it's just produced by people who make trailer music? It all sounds like that. Generic trailer music.
1: So it's just there. Yeah,
0: it's just there. Uh, music by Steve Jablonski again so this time it's the same guy same for all four movies this time he just isn't trying but there's also awful sound mixing the music's too loud the sound effects are too loud and the dialogue it's like they've got those slider bars you know in a video game where you can turn the dialogue up and the music down a bit mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to pause the film and do exactly that because it was like playing a video game where the levels are all fucked on the standard settings I was actually, I actually did that with uh, Transformers: uh, Fall of Cybertron. The dialogue can barely be heard over the crashing music. They're trying to match the uh, movies. It, it doesn't work. if You can barely hear the dialogue. It's not a Paul Thomas Anderson film. They're not establishing mood through music and giving you a lot of acting behind the screens, Fucking robots talking. You need, especially if they're talking about the You kind of need to hear what they're saying. And if you can't, it just becomes a, I don't care anymore. Situation. I don't care why they want this thing, because all I'm going to get is crashing loud music. So again, back to the whole idea of all well, Michael. Michael Bay. At least he's great on a technical scale. He's not. If he watches through this movie and goes, "Yep, that's all fine, that's great," I assume maybe it's it's fine for the masses and they don't care and they have no standards. But for me, I like to hear what's being said. Just a little thing. I can't even stick on the subtitles
1: (laughs) (laughs) had you had that option would that have been would it have helped
0: not really I mean I suppose a bit I might have put the subtitles on and rewound and and and, like if, if, if if it felt like something important was being said Oh dear.
1: So basically, the way to enjoy this film is to learn sign language and then go to a version that's got the sign language interpreter.
0: Yeah. Mark Ryan, particularly, is locked down. Um, He uh, he played Jetfire in uh, the second film. Um, He's uh, done a lot of sort of voice acting type stuff. Um, He's unintelligible. I can't hear a fucking word he says. And he's doing it in a British way again. But because, maybe it's because he has a very kind of bassy voice. You don't get the sharp consonants, so it just sounds like no. You know how everyone was complaining that you couldn't hear what Bane was saying? Mm. In every scenario where Bane was speaking, everything else was very quiet and Bane was very loud. Or perhaps he's wondering how you would shoot him up before throwing him out of the plane. It's like, even if you don't hear the exact words, they're so loud that you're like you can replay it in your head and go, ah, that's basically what he said. And in context, that makes sense. But if it's all just like... Well, the music goes... That's what the film felt
1: like. Shy Ronnie.
0: No, because Shy Ronnie, actually, you can hear the uh, the whimpering and there's no music playing over him. No one in the back can hear you. It's just more that the mixture and the cacophony of the various sound elements... It just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a melange. It is, it is an audio melange. And there is nothing distinct about it. And I know I'm not covering any new ground by saying this, but um, this is the first Transformers film I've seen since 2007's Transformers in the cinema. And I imagine 2 and 3 were equally unintelligible. It's probably going to be less bad on DVD... Maybe the mixing will be slightly better because the sound system will be less, I suppose, imposing.
1: And you will at least have the subtitles option if you need <laughs>
0: it. We can rewind, or of course, never seeing this on DVD.
1: It's also true.
2: So that is why I have no feelings.
0: You die. The humour. The humour. <laughs> does it from what I described? Does it sound worse or better than the humour in the first three?
1: Um. Uh, it sounds well. You've already said that the the racism has kind of toned down a little bit, um, and. Uh, it sounds very targeted, and this was one of the things that frustrated me about the um, about two and three, was that they had an audience member in mind, and they were going straight for that audience member. And it was somebody that I have very little in common with. And it sounds like they've done the same thing again.
0: It is less awful humour. Uh, I didn't laugh once. But I didn't get that feeling like, oh, God, stop, stop trying to be funny. It's the opposite of funny. There was no moment like Deep Wang. There was no moment like the screaming fat black nerd in the first one. Okay. There was no moments like the twins. In fact, it didn't really seem to be playing as a comedy at all for most of it. There there were moments and there were certain actors, um, one of whom I'll come on to in a bit. The bits where they played you the human stuff was done for drama. It wasn't drama because I didn't give a fuck about any of them, but it was played for drama as opposed to play for laughs. Which so yeah, ultimately, uh, you know, if if, if you try to play comedy for laughs and it's just the opposite of funny, you achieve precisely the opposite of what you set out to do. If you miss with drama, at least you're trying for something approaching humanity.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah?
0: I suppose. So, well done. (laughs) Um, You may have noticed I haven't discussed the Transformers yet. That's because they're barely fucking in it, at least as characters. Um, Because that's really what the the films come down to. Whenever the person writes their script, they put a little highlighter mark on all the pages which actually have Transformers in them. And they can only have 14 highlighter pages.
1: Because they can't afford it otherwise. Yeah. So once again, way too much focus on the humans. Yeah.
0: Now, um, Ryan, who appeared on the uh, first episode, uh, the uh, the major Transformers fan, saw this, really liked it, said it was the best one so far. I I don't understand how, but at least he liked it. So that is proof, at least, that smart people can still like this. Bob Chipman also thought this was the best one so far. Proof, again, smart people can like this. It might just be me. But, Ryan also said he could probably do with less of the kids in Transformers Prime. I I convinced him to start watching a bit of Transformers Prime. I'm kind of boggled by the fact that anyone would say more Extinction, less kids in Transformers Prime. Again, it's just a case of not seeing eye to eye, I suppose. But um, it made me think that the kids in Transformers Prime are, in almost every situation, directly interacting with the Autobots. They are there for the Autobots to discuss their situation with to contextualize it for humans that's what the humans should be in the transformers movie there there should always be autobots there there should always be an autobot situation there and there's got to be a way to get the autobots less expensive so that you can characterize them these transformers movies aren't actually about the
1: transformers they're about how humans deal with transformers. Yeah, like aliens well films. Humans that, that aren't about aliens, but are in fact about how humans deal with aliens. And by aliens, by the way, I don't mean xenomorphs. Aliens with a capital A. But
0: you're talking Independence Day here. Yeah. To a degree, kind of, it has more in common with Independence Day than it has with uh, the original Transformers.
1: Yeah, but you can only do that so many times before it's like, well, yes, we've seen the the brave band of humans save the world before. We'd like to see something different, please. Mm.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, this was the reboot. This was their chance to really change up the formula. It's the same thing. It's the same thing with less really obnoxious humour stuck into it.
1: But why would they change the formula? As we have discussed, yeah. 1.1 billion says there is no reason for them to change the formula at this stage. Yeah.
0: The only way that we can do it is to starve them. And we we can't, ultimately, because uh, everyone else will be feeding them. That's why I was really morally opposed to even going to see this at all. But I kind of, you know, I orchestrate... I managed to get it... Done in a way that I, I can at least live with. Um, cut two. Stanley Tucci as wicked Tony Stark. Joshua Joyce. Yeah, there's an Iron Man in this. He's not, he doesn't have a, a suit of armor, but he is an industrialist who wants to change the world and make it technically a better place, but he is kind of wicked about it. He made himself a Galvatron out of bits of Megatron and Sentinel Prime. He owns Stark Tech in uh, the Transformers universe, and they've made him a, a Galvatron. Is this a really good idea, Sharon?
1: I I think it sounds like a really bad idea, personally.
0: So do I. I I was basically. It's kind of like creating an atom bomb and going, I wonder what happens when you press this button.
1: You should know what happens when you press this button. You made it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They unleash Galvatron to take down uh, Optimus later on, and they're like, hang on, he's doing stuff on his own. This isn't supposed to happen. He's totally off the leash. Maybe we've made a grave mistake. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you think?
0: Stanley Tucci's character is, A, the only character with anything approaching an arc, if you don't count the fact that Marky Mark goes from really not liking the fact that uh, his daughter wants to have things put in her vagina, to being okay with the fact that his daughter wants to have things put in her vagina. Um Yeah, there's an arc.
1: The more you say that, the more uncomfortable I get with that good.
0: situation. Good, good, because that's how uncomfortable it made me the whole way through. <laughs> Sheepsh. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, but uh, Tucci basically goes from being this sort of sneering, smug, so Tony Stark at the beginning of Iron Man 1 to being this kind of, you know, I was just trying to, to, to help people, help the world, give everyone their own Transformer. Everyone who had a billion dollars, of course. He, he basically ends up on the hero's side and sort of going with them. And he's, he's Stanley Tucci, so he's got full of like little esoteric uh, bits of humor and bits which were clearly ad lib because Aaron Kruger doesn't write that sort of stuff. So, again, uh, uh, Tucci and Kelsey Grammer, uh, respectively, the only two actors who are, A, either acting or entertaining or committing. I I can't really count the guy who plays the boyfriend because he was just not shit.
1: Okay.
0: So, yeah, he's made himself a Galvatron. They're trying to make Optimus Prime, but they're using bits of Megatron and Megatron's brainwaves, and astonishingly, it turns out looking and sounding exactly like Megatron voiced by Frank Welker at long freaking last. I got a problem with this, though. Um, Megatron is in the first film he's spoken of, and then he turns up at the end for 14 minutes. In the second film, he plays second fiddle to uh, Tony Todd's The Fallen. In the third film, he plays second fiddle to Nenad Nimoy's Sentinel Prime. In this fourth film, he plays second fiddle to Lockdown. They've turned Megatron into Starscream! oh
1: yes of course he's become the sidekick
0: he's never the guy it's never about him not that it ever should that the way they handle him there's no dimension to him anyway not that there was ever much dimension to megatron anyway but he was always a source of absolute fear in this as galvatron who looks exactly like megatron i might add and now sounds more like megatron than he ever did (laughs) Uh, he, he basically, uh, I'll mention this now, he's sort of there pushing forwards the ending and then he sneaks away and goes, I live to fight another day, having not fought or even really confronted Optimus Prime except for that one bit in the middle. And it's like, it, it more Megatron in the sequel, folks, and now he's Galvatron. And I think even Stunny Tucci at some point says something like, make no mistake about it, he's Megatron. They've just given him a new coat of paint. Anyway, so the Autobots assemble five assholes, two of them straight-out psychopaths. Optimus, as I've said before, does not ever grow out of this like, We will kill them all! kind of, like, you know, he's, he's angry and twitchy and he occasionally, like, uh, like looks sharply at um, Marky Mark and, uh, sorry, uh, Cade Yeager and says,
2: you humans do blah,
0: blah, 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 and he's, you know, he's really embittered now. So basically he's bitter and crazy. Um, so yeah, so he's one of the psychopathic ones. The other one is Hound, played by John Goodman. He's the fat one. He's the blubberous R. Kelly in that he sort of wobbles around the screen like with sort of like fat guy wobble physics, like super exaggerated. And he points his gun at everyone, into everyone's face. The f- the first moment he turns up to sort of greet Optimus Prime with his new human friends, he points his gun directly in their faces, like you know, who are the stowaways? And I'm like, oh, it's John Goodman. Oh, but he's a shit character. And I remember Hound, and I liked Hound, and one of the things about Hound was that he was affable. So again, he's not a character. He's not characterized in any other way than the grotesqueries that Aaron Kruger and Michael Bacon come up with. The other three are... Drift, we mentioned before, who's a, a samurai, barely takes any real uh, role in the proceedings. I expected him to be a turncoat at some point because it seemed like... I think he was a former Decepticon. I think they mentioned something along those lines. Maybe I'm wrong on that one. Oh, speaking of which, the mini Beetlejuice turns up for no apparent reason other than the fact that he was the one decoding Megatron's head into Galvatron's brain. Um, and he joins the Autobots again. The little Beavis one. Um, Anyway, Drift, this uh, samurai who uh, talks uh, to Optimus Prime uh, like uh, this, has a gold face. None of the other Autobots have gold faces. Do you know why he has a gold face?
1: Why does he have a gold face?
0: Because being an Asian stereotype, he has the... Oh,
1: no. ...of yellow
0: skin and extra slanty eyes.
1: Oh, my God. And of applause,
0: ladies and gentlemen. You've Mocking just come racist.
1: off culturally insensitive back into racist.
0: Um... Another one of the assholes who's actually not, like, he's probably the least of an asshole. I believe is crosshairs. I don't think he ever gets name checked. But he's the green one. Who for some reason has a coat. He's got a coat. Like a big metal flappy in the wind coat. Why does he have a coat? Because it looks cool. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, again, I think he sort of turns up. He does a bit of fighting. Basically, he behaves more like Hound should have behaved. And, um, then, and there's Bumblebee. Somehow, they make Bumblebee an asshole. I don't even know how they did that. Bumblebee's great in the first movie. He's kind of a non-entity in the second one, and, and like he behaves in that sort of psychopathic way and beats up that uh, girl who turns out to be a, a, a robot in disguise. Oh, by the way, someone has a phone tone which goes... Duh, 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 duh. Yeah, that's, that's clever. And in the third... I can't remember. He was he was barely, barely in the third one. I think he was about to get killed. So it's at the same time, you still sort of, sort of care for Bumblebee? Sort of? Care for Bumblebee. In this, he sort of turns up. They they infiltrate Stanley Tucci's um, Stark Tech, and then uh, he finds the Stinger, which is a new kind of um, uh, like manufactured. Uh, Transformer that they've made based on Bumblebee but then he's sort of watching the videos introducing it and it's like, you know, we took this shabby, shitty old car I mean, if you literally look at it he's totally outdated and basically uh, he, he throws a little hitty fit he kicks over the robot and in kind of sort of, ah, uh, the punk ass the way I'm describing it in my head I'm forming a better scene than there actually was the idea of Bumblebee being hurt but the Bumblebee I'm thinking of is the one from Transformers Prime or possibly Transformers 1 this one there's no emotion there there's no acting Within the robot, he's just a petulant little shit. And at one point, um, uh, Monkey Mark Monk shouts at him, Be, you know, calm down. And he replies in John Goodman's voice, I'm perfectly calm, dude. Literally snipping a bit out of the big Lebowski. Got my back up.
1: Did he then proceed to go calmer than you? You are?
0: No, not yet so yeah there's the transformium oh and another geeky scientist although again the geeks in this they aren't quite painted in the same cartoonish awful way as they were in the first film but it's he's still obviously the geek uh, he turns a giant rainbow dash into a giant gun and then goes ha ha and it's the idea is they have this transformium and they get it it's like yeah, imagine tony stark sort of holding up a, a a holographic thing and turning it from one thing into another with his hands yeah, it's that. Uh, that could be a really clumsy stab at the bronies, going, look, bronies, would you put down fucking Hasbro's Rainbow Dash and pick up a gun? That's what real men need to hold.
1: Ew.
0: I could, I could be wrong. Maybe it was just a sneaky way of getting Rainbow Dash in and, and, and uh, pimping my little pony, but um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say stab at the bronies because, you know, fuck the bronies. They should be buying Transformers toys. What does Hasbro care? What does Hasbro care? They're giving you money. They, they, the My Little Pony, and Friendship is Magic communities, Bronies and Pegasisters keep that thing alive. You turn your nose up and give them the finger at your peril. That's not to say that I haven't met a couple of asshole Bronies, but there you go. So, yeah, Prime gets captured because Galvatron attacks him, and then the screaming girl gets captured at the same time, and she screams a lot. They get put onto a prison ship run by Lockdown, who you know, the guy who turns his head into a gun. And this is when the plot comes out. Basically, he's been – you've seen it from early on. He's been working in cahoots with uh, Kelsey Grammer, um, the U.S. government. I don't get – Well, the U.S. government suddenly decided the Autobots were evil and had to destroy them. And then these non-affiliated robotic lifeforms turned up and said, we want to hunt down Optimus Prime. And they went, yeah, all right. You come in with your giant death ship because they've got a giant death ship, folks. Uh, And uh, you say you want to work with us? Yeah, you work with us and we'll we'll hunt down these Autobots who have obviously, manifestly been trying to protect us and we'll help you kill them. I don't get the logic behind that. I don't get it. I get that th- that humans would want to rid the planet of bots. I don't get that they would shake hands with the devil they don't know to kill the devil they do, or frankly to kill the angel they do. Because up until th- three, Prime is actually a pretty stand-up guy, as are the rest of the Autobots. And even in three, they fucking save the asses of everyone in Chicago. It's the Dece- it's obviously the Decepticons. They're called Decepticons. But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't get the logic behind no more robotic life forms. It's us and them and these other robotic life forms. Either way, uh, on Lockdown's prison ship, apparently the Forerunners want Prime. They want Prime imprisoned, and he's going to take him back to the Forerunners. Uh, but Prime breaks out before they can. This is when uh, they break. They, the other Transformer assholes break in, uh, and they they do indeed go to that cage. There is a giant spider inside it, which opens up its enormous vagina dentata to uh, to gnash its teeth and uh, covers um, a Hound in slime, and then he shoots it and calls it a bitch.
1: Wonderful.
0: Says it's too hideous to live. <sighs> as I said earlier, just depressing as fuck. And then Marky Mark and Shaney Shane get hold of guns. They go to the armory. There's a load of swords and things. Prime at later on takes one of these swords because, you know, why not? Why not give Optimus Prime an enormous sword? Then they they shoot their way out, much like that bit in Star Trek. And then they get across back to the thing on the things, and then they get into the Autobots. But there's a, this is a whole – the bit goes on forever. I might add, it goes on and on and on. And this fucking ship, it's like a funhouse, a really expensive funhouse. It's not fun, but it's just full of things that go yeah at you. Um,
3: I create visual worlds that are so beyond every, everyone's normal life experiences. So it's
0: a broken funhouse. Then they all go to China for some reason,
3: possibly because they've done
0: th- uh, two deserts and two American cities, and they've done the forest for a big action sequence well. I go to China and make it all sun-kissed and exotic, and I imagine <laughs> they'll go somewhere else of cultural relevance in the, uh, the, 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 the fourth one. The, The fifth one, maybe Japan, maybe Japan, and maybe the sixth one. Maybe maybe their, their target audience would confuse Japan with China. And Joshua, played by Stanley Tucci, goes there too because uh, he's worked out that they, they, there's a seed that gets taken off this prison ship and the, the uh, non-affiliated uh, robotic lifeforms want to get the seed back and they want to... Oh, and Galvatron gets out and he wants to get the seed as well. He wants to detonate it in the biggest uh, human city. I think the city is Beijing. I could be wrong. Let me just check. Uh, oh, it is Beijing. Yeah, Okay. I'm not bad with my uh, working out where places are. Um, There's a bit where Stanley Tucci and he's got this Asian, either an assistant or a business associate or something like that, who looks a bit like Michelle Yeoh. They get on the back of a, uh, they get on a motorbike and they ride around doing that Tomorrow Never Dies stunt. And then they get stuck in a lift and um, they get jumped by agents. And then this Michelle Yeoh type lady kicks their asses with kung fu, and then this other Chinese fellow who's in the lift also kicks their asses with kung fu, which, while she explains it sort of, oh, yeah, I got trained that when I was in the police, it does rather make it seem like everybody Asian knows kung fu. But this is all marking time. This is all just extending this film to three hours long for no reason. It, there's no reason for it to be there. Um, then there's a bit from the Bourne Ultimatum where they're sort of jumping up and down all over the place on a, on a giant um, Chinese block of flats and are jumping through windows and Marky Mark fights with that wicked agent who held a gun to his daughter's head earlier and he kills him, throws him out the window. There's a – you know, the, this is missing that this shit just got real shot. Right. I never caught it. Or if, if anyone did, either that or the whole thing was of this shit just got real shot. But it, what it did have was before the wicked agent went upstairs um, to fight with Marky Mark, um, there was a, a shot pretty much from below his feet. Like the camera sort of panned in until he was practically standing on the lens. That's how low angle it was. Oh, dear. Isn't the point to make the Transformers seem big, not the humans?
1: You would think. In fact, we discussed this with Transformers Prime. The whole point of the humans being there should be to lend scale to the Transformers. Context.
0: So they see us as small and we see them as big. Hmm. Hound got into a big fight and swearing and shooting and throwing stuff about and I was like, oh god, oh god, Hound's gonna die. Oh god, oh he didn't die. Fuck. And he'll probably come back a, a later today. I was so sad about that because I hated the way they handled this character so badly. It was like Jazz. At least Jazz that was handled so badly it was a relief from Megatron tore him in half. Um, then enter the Dinobots for no reason at all. Optimus goes back to the prison ship, breaks them all out, and then sort of walks back towards the five-asshole Transformers with the Dinobots behind him and goes, These are our new allies, and I shall fight with them. And then he sort of fights with Grimlock for a bit and like, it's like... His dodging axe blows and then he like smashes Grimlock in the face, punches him down. And then Grimlock sort of like subservient and lies on the ground. And he gets onto his back and Grimlock. OK, I'm going to stop calling him Grimlock now. It's not Grimlock. It's a metal Tyrannosaurus Rex. These are metal dinosaurs. They're not the Dinobots. Dinobots, by their very definition, have some measure of personality. So have some sort of voice to them. As it turns out, Grimlock actually does appear to talk at one point, but it's when he transforms back into his human form and he goes (laughs) on the bridge. None of this me Grimlock smash. None of that personality that we all love and remember about Grimlock. He just goes (laughs) sorry. What? These are not the Dinobots. So whenever anyone says. Transformers Age of Extinction, well, at least it had the Dinobots. No, it didn't. It did not have the Dinobots. It had metal dinosaurs. There is a difference. There is a big difference. The Dinobots, again, not exactly complex characters, but they were fun. These guys, you could digitally remove them from this cacophonic action sequence and you wouldn't make any difference to the film. Aside from, obviously, this one scene, Optimus would be fighting something invisible. But if you trimmed that scene out, because obviously it's only there to set up the Dinobots, then when Optimus Prime comes riding in on Grimlock, he may as well just be flying in or rolling in or jumping in or bounding in. The fact that there are metal dinosaurs trashing the street, it doesn't matter. doesn't make any difference. It doesn't... Folks, stop your internal dialogue. It doesn't make any difference. Okay, okay. It's just some shit that they put in to make you buy more toys. Or if you're if you're older, not necessarily to buy more toys, but to go. Well, I'll go and see this one. It has the Dino Bots. You were fooled, same as me. But I at least expected that there would be no Dino Bots, and I was fucking right. They also have the ship from the Man of Steel. Remember that thing that makes that goes and like smashes the street. Yeah. At this point, Lockdown decides, I'm going to attack Beijing for some reason. Maybe he wants the seed. I don't know. Uh, and Marky Mark and his hero team all get sort of like, their, their, their car starts rising up. It's like, oh, my God, it's going to get pulled into the thing from a man of steel. That thing's devastating. And, of course, it doesn't, and they don't die. I'm astonished because I actually thought they were going to. No, I didn't. They're the fucking heroes. What do you fucking think, folks? <laughs> they can kill bots, but they can't kill humans. That's That's how these things go. Okay? Unless the humans are bad. If the humans are bad, they can kill them. The humans are bad. (sighs) So, yeah, then lots of things explode. I was far too bored to care. And, again, I I return you to this whole... Well, at least he's visually arresting. He's not visually arresting. It's just stuff happening. So stuff flying through the air. It's particle physics. And there's not even all that much physics to it. It's going in slow motion. There's bits flying everywhere. It's like there's a... There's a music video by Fatboy Slim called Gangster Trippin'. With the one where they're like, What we're doing with Fatboy Fat boy what, Slim and we're we're with? And all it is is just diorama after diorama exploding in slow motion. Like, they make a little doll's house and then they explode it. And there's, like, polystyrene chunks and bits of furniture flying everywhere. That lasts three and a half minutes. And at least you get to listen to Fatboy Slim. That's literally what the end sequence of all four of these fucking movies is. And Galvatron sneaks away for the sequel... And then Prime gets into a big fight with this lockdown guy and uh, he gets impaled like through his fucking Matrix, although he has to call it a life spark uh, in his chest. Um, And um, because they use the Matrix already in 2 and partly in 3. And it wasn't this, it was a key to something, the key of Vector Sigma. Um, And uh, Marky as I say like it's an occurrence, Marky Mark saves him and then uh, they they use a, a fucking pickup truck to pull his you know the good old boys american redneck fucking mobile to pull out the uh sword from the uh autobot and then kelsey Grammer's basically sort of like after this is after he's got into a like a, a very physical confrontation with stanley tucci in his office and sort of you know it is us or them and like i'm really committed to this um he, he basically uh is sort of like physically like holding um Marky Mark at gunpoint and saying I saw them and uh, you chose them not the humans you fucking traded to your race and it's like yeah Kelsey Grammer's right he's absolutely on the money these things are death to our race they need to be taken off the planet because even the good guy Autobots are assholes at best and sociopaths at worst and as if to prove my point uh, Optimus Prime shoots with his giant shotgun Kelsey Grammer, killing him dead. I I think that's actually the first time an Autobot has killed a human in these films.
1: And it had to be Optimus Prime.
0: And it had to be Optimus Prime. Now, uh, when the other Autobots are being attacked, they are firing off their guns earlier in the film, so they probably clipped a few agents that were attacking them, but that's self-defence. And technically, Prime is protecting Marky Mark, who, by the way, didn't need protecting, and if he died, it would have been like, oh, yes, yes, he's not going to be back for the 5th and the 6th and the 7th and the 8th. But no, Marky Mark lived. And uh, Optimus Prime is now a murderer of humans as well as uh, as uh, robots. Oh, and uh, um, obviously, Lockdown got killed. Obviously. Because of
2: something. And then Optimus, as opposed to just saying, We pledge this to the stars. Do not attack planet Earth. No, come to planet Earth. We will be protecting it. Optimus changes it up. He goes, You Autobots, protect this planet. I'm off to take the seed back to the people who made me. I'm coming for you. And I send this message to the stars. We are protecting this planet. And I'm coming to kill you. The end.
0: Mark Kermode refers to Michael Bay as a pornographer and says he directs with a pornographic sensibility. I don't. Uh, people who hate Michael Bay, um, you know, say he's the devil. I don't think he's the devil. I don't think he's evil. Um, film Crit Hulk believes he has sociopathic tendencies. There's actually a very good argument for that. What I would actually compare him to most is an assassin. Because he has that switch in him that allows him to switch off every single ethical bone in his body and just do a job. Do a job that people pay him a large amount of money for, that achieves an a goal. He puts on his white cloak, he puts on his white robe, flips up the hood, he performs an assassination on the Transformers every couple of years, and people pay him vast amounts of money to do that, and then more people pay the studio who paid him vast amounts of money as a thank you to him for doing that. It's almost like a political movement has occurred. And he's the assassin because he says to himself, you know what, if I show up at your door, chances are you did something to bring me there, or it's not actually me doing this, or, you know, it's a it's necessary, I am a necessary evil, or, or whatever else he has to justify himself in in his head. And ultimately, you maybe don't have to blame the assassin. Maybe consider him just a total tool of the system that is producing these, and we're feeding it it is part of as i said before in the, i think it was number 3 of this giant ugly yin yang wherein and it, what it's it's unbalanced but an enormous amount of people pay a small studio an enormous amount of money small in terms of how many people actually work for paramount relative to how many people consistently pay paramount to keep doing this and now we reach the actual i would say villains but just masterminds the unicrons behind this it's actually not Paramount. Paramount are just doing their job. Paramount are just as much assassins as anyone else. It's Hasbro. This originally was a uh, toy line, and they put a cartoon with it to make sure that the toys would sell, and they put comics with that to make sure that people would watch the cartoon and buy the toys, and they're just doing more of the same, and that's fine, really. It's you know Hasbro have a vested interest in this. Clearly, they sold loads of transformers in the '80s, a lot less in the '90s. Then there were some more slightly uh, higher spikes during the, uh, the the animated shows of the 2000s, and then suddenly, when 2007 happened, massive spike in toy sales, and then it dipped a little bit. Then 2009 came along. Revenge of the F- was it 2009? Revenge of the Fallen. It was 2009. And then 2009 came along, and uh, Revenge of the Fallen got made. There was another massive spike, and then 2011 came along, another massive spike, and I'd imagine there was another massive spike this year in their toy sales. It almost doesn't matter if the films make less and less money, as long as the toy sales spike each time. It's actually still worth Hasbro funding these. You know, there was never before this there was never a toy company funding a film, a big blockbuster film, until now
1: so they are effectively investing in commercial. a 3 hour long cinema commercial
0: yeah which again it's it's fine really cuz you know we, we they 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 bought commercials and airtime back in the day it's the same process i'm not i'm not saying that it's not disgusting i'm not saying it's not fucking tedious i'm not saying it's that i'm back what I'm saying, I suppose, is I'm baffled that people like these films. I don't get it. What, you know, you like toy commercials. They're only about 30 seconds long. But this is three hours of tedium.
1: And also, people tend to get a bit annoyed when somehow somebody cons them into paying to watch an advert.
0: Yeah. It's what people said very much about the Lego movie, that it actually didn't feel like a toy commercial. That um, it, by the end of it, they'd tried so hard not to make you want to buy the Lego kits and to actually go out and do your own thing that I was kind of dying to buy the Lego kits. <laughs> it's a very interesting way of doing it. And imagine a Transformers movie directed by Lord and Miller. My God, how wonderful that would be. And I do mean wonderful with a capital W. How? Oh, well. The good. Potentially compelling core concept. I said potentially. That doesn't necessarily mean it's good, just that it started with a good idea. The Autobots are hunted. The Autobots are on the run. They were forsaken. Unfortunately, because they behave like complete fucking assholes, I understand why they were forsaken. I don't understand why any human would want to actually harbour them. They're insane. Uh, another good point. Tucci and Grammar, respectively, having fun and committing to the roles. I don't think I've really talked about Tucci. Uh, it's difficult to really put uh, his performance into words. I suppose quirky would be the best way of putting it. He's uh, He delivers his lines with... Uh, um, he's fucking Stanley Tucci. You yeah, know, He's a master at what he does. And he's not bored. And he's a lot more watchable than John Torturo in the previous movies. Jack Rayner is not quite Megan Fox, but he is the least awful hero so far. He's not really the hero technically. Marky Mark is the hero, but he, I suppose he's there to fulfil the whole Shia LaBeouf thing. They just uh, they switch the focus onto the dad, uh, who obviously the previous dad was there for comedy values and yucks, and that was about it.
1: Mm. Well, he's the he's the handoff character, isn't he? If, if your central character is a father who is concerned for the safety of his daughter, the only acceptable outcome is that he meets a young man who he feels confident in handing over the key to the vagina box to.
0: And the last good point: it doesn't commit any major new sins if we don't count oppressive fatherhood. If we do count oppressive fatherhood, it does commit major new sins.
1: I would say that counts. Cause if you, if you're basically going from, uh, as we said about the age range thing for the, the first movies, if you're basically going from the, uh, op- uh well, you can't really call Shia LaBeouf oppressive really, could you? But the, the, uh, leery boyfriend process as it moves up through the, uh, age Brackets.
0: He just seems like an overly hyperactive, yipping dog trying to constantly fuck his owner's leg. That's what those two girls seem like. His owner. Yeah. And in yeah. this, Marky Mark owns his daughter. Mm. Oh, that's much better. Which is worse. Oh, that's
1: much better. Calm down.
0: Calm down. You know, at a time like this, the idea is to keep cool, not look cool, so I don't lose the glasses. About a month ago, middle of the night, I thought I heard noises
3: in my house. Is that you? What? Come on, no way. Don't lie to me, kid. You see that guy with the gun out there? There's so many guys with guns. Let's get out of the car and tell him we're about to break in and that's your idea, because I don't care. I'm old. I've already lived long enough. You have a really bad habit of having these conversations at the wrong time, man. You want to come clean to you? I'm going to make a mess? Sir, can I talk to you for a second, please? It was me.
0: It
2: was me. It was me. It was me. I'm sorry.
0: I'm literally going to kill you. So, yeah, okay, so we'll take that one off then, because it really is kind of a sin.
1: Mm. Also, I'm going to, that golden-faced... Goldface. I
0: don't think we can really take away racism entirely, can we? No. Not with goldface.
1: Not really.
0: The bad, it's just more swill. More of the same metallic slop that they fling out to the masses every few years. What really sucks is that other studios study that swill and try to make their movies more like these ones. I think these studios are finally cottoning on that trying to do a film as vacuous as Transformers without the Transformers license doesn't yield great results. G.I. Joe, they did not make a bajillion dollars. Battleship, they did not make a bajillion dollars.
1: Well, Uh, from the sounds of things, the the approach should be, go to the people you're going to be buying the license from and say to them, if you were devising a a commercial for your product, what would it look like?
0: Nicola Peltz is more tedious and tiresome of an on-screen presence than Shia LaBeouf and Rosie Huntington-Whitley. So there, it's... She's worse. This pretend Katara awful presence. Again, I don't really want to be particularly vitriolic against the actress. She's not a very good actress at all, and she's annoying, but I'm sure she's a nice person. The continued hammering of Prime below the ground. Even more of a wasted opportunity, because considering the premise of this one, they could really have looked at the psychology of Prime. This is what i fought for, and looking at Prime's past going back this was their opportunity to really characterize the Transformers and what a complete fucking waste this is the most obnoxious team of Transformers so far with the possible exception of the twins and there's no Decepticons in it and you can't even there's no name for the bots they're fighting they also fucked Grimlock and the Dinobots so much so that they pretty much didn't need to exist they're just there to sell extra Dinobot toys and to to bring in the adults the males And this has no soul whatsoever, yet it has the temerity to bring up the concept of the soul as an analog for the spark twice as though it's a theme rather than something they just throw in into the mess. This Mm -hmm. is Aaron Kruger discussing the soul to the point where it's like Voldemort trying to express the importance of laughter to you. It rings so false. Remember that bit at the end of Deathly Hallows Part 2 where Voldemort gives Draco this really weird, awkward hug like he's seen other people do it and he doesn't really understand what it means but he does it anyway? That's what it's like hearing Aaron Kruger discuss the soul. There are so many series that took the spectacle angle that existed long before this one and integrated that into their proceedings in a way that makes these movies utterly redundant And if we didn't feed the beast, they might just go away. However, clearly the majority of cinema goers don't want them to go away. So thank God for Transformers Prime. Because at least we got something good out of them. And that's what we're doing next week, folks. We will be doing an episode on this Transformers Prime that we've been talking about so much. You can pick these up on DVD for something like a fiver each for the first uh, five discs which make up Season 1. You can get the whole of Season 1 in America all in one go, which I recommend, or you can get it on Blu-ray in America. You can get it on Blu-ray in Australia, which will work in the UK, or you can watch it on US Netflix. Do so. The first five episodes of Transformers Prime, uh, it's called Darkness Rising. You can buy that singly on DVD right now. It's on Amazon for three pounds, brand new. Is the best Transformers movie ever, and I completely include the 1986 one in this. So that's why we're going to review it next week. Any other questions you have on the Age of Extinction?
1: When are they going to stop?
0: They aren't. Quite simply. They will just reboot. There will never stop being Transformers films. It will be like the Bond franchise, as long as Hasbro retains the license. I want Disney to buy the Transformers license from Hasbro. I want their losses to be so high because they overbought Grimlock toys or something. And just if they're sitting there warming pegs that for some reason Hasbro in an act of lunacy sell the Transformers license to Disney because I want to see what Disney can do with that. It's not right for Disney to have the Monopoly, but I fucking trust them more than I trust Paramount with with this anymore. Jesus Christ. So, okay. That's us. And a special thank you to Eric Caron who made this show possible. Thanks, Eric. Are you glad you didn't see it, Joe? Yes. <laughs>
1: I'm very glad I didn't see it. As I think we've established, I, I would really prefer not to waste my time in the cinema watching these pieces of shit. There's other things I could be doing.
0: I think I might show, if it's on Netflix in some several years from now, I might show it to you so that you can assess the, the level of vagina in a box that uh, goes on. But... um I think that'll be your your most interested angle because everything else, it's just so boring. That's the thing that I took away from it. It's just so boring. It's so boring. It's just so boring. And it's not just me. I was in a cinema of 50 people, all of which were film fans who had come there early in the day at one45 um, to, with a discount because that's uh, thank you Audien. and we all just sat there glumly in silence watching the thing the woman beside me occasionally went but that was about it so obviously some girls like this I think Ryan said his wife loves them but um, yeah I have it's, I have never seen a, 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 a series of explosions so big and an audience so unmoved by them you know when you watch the Avengers and everyone's laughing along and going, whoa, that was awesome, and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, in fact, yeah, do you remember when, um uh, I've mentioned this several times on the podcast, when uh, uh, Thor goes, you want me to put the hammer down? And, like, smashes it down on Steve's shield and goes, boom. And then there's a silence. And do you remember what that kid said behind us? Yeah. Just went, Awesome. Wow. <laughs> And the entire cinema laughed, because they were all thinking it as well. He just voiced it. Because that film was awesome. So, again, yeah, there you go. Thank you, Transformers, for giving the Avengers purpose to beat your ass.
1: Scale, you see? Giving the Avengers scale.
0: You bring a hammer to a gunfight? Yes. Avengers versus Transformers, that'd be a short battle. Anyway. Next up, Transformers The Last Knight. Oh, Transformers 5, how much do you defile with your existence? Let me count the ways. It mutilates the Arthur legend, turning it into this explosion-spewing tedium that will leave you longing for the bolted-down Guy Ritchie version. It wastes English Rose Laura Haddock, that Star-Lord's mum. It wastes her reducing her not much of a character to little more than a key who likes marky marks abs it she's she's like she's always like bickering with him but then it's like oh you you're only bickering with him because you like his abs and he just keeps going you know i don't need education i'm smart without you know education and stuff and it's like i i, I don't have education either i had to uh, drop out but this constant talking about it suggests severe anxiety regarding Not having it. And it puts that particular bird-voiced, knuckle-dragging dingus front and centre for an excruciating amount of the running time, sidelining promising young actress Isabella Mona who disappears for nearly two hours when she should have been the young hero of the whole movie. So she's like this 14-year-old Latina girl who uh, scavenges for parts in this burned-out city and uh, is best friends with some Autobots. It's been years since Optimus Prime disappeared, or it's been a while since Optimus Prime disappeared, and the Transformers are being hunted all over the globe by humans. Same as they were in the fourth one. And so she sort of made friends with with one of them called um, Streaks, Skids, this little blue guy who's kind of like BB-8. This you know, a big yellow one called Canopy, who sort of, like, pro- forms a protective dome over her. But then that gets nuked by the humans. They kill this nice old Transformer. Um And so she's running away from uh, from them. And there are a couple of human um G-men going, don't kill the kids. But it's kind of half-hearted. Um so, yeah, she meets Marky Mark and he's like, well, what do you want? She's like, I can do mechanic stuff. And he's like, oh, okay, so, so what can you do? And then he gets called away on Transformer business and we don't go back to her until the very end of the movie where she turns up at the, the in this the end sequence. And it's like, why did you even put her in this movie if you're going to use her so little, if you're going to bait and switch her? Like, you know, oh, you, you want to know about this character? Fuck you, here's fucking Jaeger again. Lots and lots and lots and lots of Marky Mark. It yanks Dan Brown's Illuminati bollocks out of the trash can, dusts them off, and force-feeds them to us. Physics gets a right roll kicking, with robots talking about getting goosebumps. What's goosebumps? You're a fucking car! That robot's gasping for breath. There's this, like, like a downed ship, and the robot's like... And it claws off its mask... And sort of comes up and it's like, it doesn't breathe. They they go in space. We've seen
1: them in space.
0: It, does, it doesn't It does need to take its mask off so that it can get its mouth free. That's a lovely little effect that you did affect guys. But you didn't think for a second, does it need to breathe? And the Earth once again gets smushed into Cybertron with no visible or noted loss of life. This is the same as in um, the third one. They bring Cybertron there. And it's like, well, you can't bring a planet the size of a moon, that close to the Earth without fucking everything. And it smashes through the moon to do that.
1: At the very least, you're going to have some extremely confused fish.
0: Yes, they never mention the confused fish. But um, it's, it's like that bit in uh, X-Men Apocalypse when they have to destroy a city and turn it into sand because they just need that effect. And it's like, well, what about the millions of people who lost their life in this? Uh sorry, what actually about them, Magneto? I'm just gonna let you wander off again, friend. Sir Anthony Hopkins is laid low with having to regurgitate some truly leaden exposition. It turns out that um Laura Haddock is part of a long, long clan going all the way no. back she's got special blood.
1: Oh my god.
0: Going all the way back to King Arthur and Merlin and like that He starts name-checking people throughout history. He's like, Leonardo da Vinci was in this clan. And Frederick Douglass, oh, fuck you. And Harriet Tubman, oh, double fuck you. And Abraham Lincoln and Albert Einstein and Stephen Hawking were all in this thing uh, thing together. And um, it's called The Witwickans. Yeah, Sharon's eyes are closed at this point. Apparently uh, the uh, old um, explorer, Mr. Witwicky, who found Megatron 100 years ago, was part of this clan of Illuminati who've been protecting the Grail ever since blah, blah, blah. And um, Laura Haddock's character is the last surviving member. Now, since Spike slash Sam is pictured, that suggests Sam's fucking dead. Uh, that's pretty grim. People have already interpreted that as being the case. Ultimately, you could bring him back. All it really takes is for them to want to bring Shia Labeef back and for Shia to want to come back into acting and indeed the Transformers movies. But since the Transformers movies made him want to stop acting, probably not a good idea to do that.
1: So, is the implication then that I don't know. He knocked up Michaela and Michaela had a kid.
0: And, no. You know? oh, okay. no. No, 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 no. Because um, Laura Haddock's dad is this sort of guy, an old guy, British, obsessed with uh, the Knights of the Round Table. Okay. Um they dance whenever they're able. They do dance whenever they're able. As it turns out, the Knights of the Round Table were, like there was 12 human knights and then there was 12 Transformers behind them and they all crossed swords. They only animated five, but we know it was 12. Do you know why they only animated five? Because they're so fucking big, you can't get 12 of them into the room behind these guys.
1: Right, I fully expect the next one to be Jesus at the Last Supper, and Transformers sat around the you
0: table. You see what I mean about this being Dan Brown bollocks? Mm-hmm. She was basically the Grail. A staff got given to Merlin, who can control a metal dragon... And um, she, she's got to find the staff. She's got to go put the thing on the other thing and save the universe. Um, Marky Wahlberg has got given the last scion of who's a fudge. And it's attached itself to his arm. And he's very special because he's got special blood too. And um, so Anthony Hopkins' name is Sir Edmund Burton. And I'm going to be the only person in the audience who's like, Sir Edmund Hillary and Richard Burton, not the actor, the explorer. Like I'm that that's just for me that particular reference there but he's got such shit to say like just uh, also they point out that he's got dementia and it's funny and they point out that his robot butler Mr Cogsworth's got dementia and it's funny and the dementia means that like even though he's British he uses American idioms also hot rods in this and he's a Lamborghini and he's French He's like, mon dieu, I am Hot Rod. See, I am flying around in this Italian car form. And it's like, there's so much wrong with that. I don't even know where to start. And he's only, like, he's not a main character in it. He's not even, like, really, like, he's just there. And they're like, we'll call him Hot Rod. And that's about it. And that's what they've done since day one with this series. They just stick in a guy and go, well, that's Ironhide. Like, that's just a name. You've just given a truck a name. That's all you've done. He's a truck who points his guns in people's faces. He's not Ironhide. It's like, imagine if when Captain America shows up, he's just, he's got a cape and he's like this blonde guy with a domino mask and a cape and he's like, I'm Captain America. And you're like, that's. No, you're not. No, you're not. What are you fucking talking about? It's like, ah, oh, fuck off your fans. It's not all just for you, you know, and um, that's the Transformers films pretty much. Golden Face was still in it. Do you remember Drift, the one voiced by Ken Watanabe? I think. Let them fight. He's in the junkyard and like Grimlock's wandering around the place eating cars. And there's like baby Triceratops dinosaur and a baby Pterodactyl. I'm like, oh, that's cute. Are they going to do anything with that? No. Okay, moving on. There's so much in this film that shouldn't be there. It goes nowhere the um, fucking Hound is back in that's uh, John Goodman oh cool so we, do we get John Goodman a lot not really not all that much um, at one point Bumblebee gets a voice box and it's a woman's voice box and he's like oh god I'm a woman no <clears throat> because there's nothing worse than having a woman's voice Yeah. Optimus Prime is kept backstage but not in a Jurassic Park way like the first movie attempted but in a we don't know what to do with this character now that he's brainwashed an evil kind of way Um, that's like he flies to Cybertron remember the end of 4 he goes I am coming for you my creators this is a message to all who would attack Earth don't bye (laughs) at the end of 3 he goes one thing I will never do I will never forsake Earth and And then he then he immediately leaves to go back to Cybertron turns up at Cybertron it's a fucking wrecking ground and there's this one female transformer in there um, who is called Quintessa after the Quintessons in the eighty-six movies, and she grabs him and entraps him, and she like like mind fucks him, and then she goes right. We're going to go to Earth now, and we're going to rip it to pieces, and we're going to get the juicy goo inside. He goes, yeah, all right. And it's basically like that bit in Fast and Furious Eight. Only there's none of the whole emotional blackmail in there. She just grabs him and chains him up and then he's bad. That's they, There's nothing more complex than that. And he's like, now I am Nemesis Prime. And it's like, rethink your heroes. Only you don't have too much because he's not in it for two hours after that point. He's just not in it until the very, very end again. So the term we think your heroes should really read, there's so many other better written heroes up there. Nothing to see here. We're just smashing action figures together and spending way too much time with that guy from The Happening. You can move your asses along. Optimus Prime, this titan of our childhood, has been through the ringer so many damn times now I had to strain my ears to ascertain whether he was really Peter Cullen after all. Any semblance to the original performance is a paper-thin mask stapled to this jingoism-spouting th- thug every movie he tells us that earth is splendid and that humans are so frigging fantastic all the while we as a people have hunted his kind down and shot them to pieces we suck in these movies but these movies keep telling us the opposite i mean we as the humans recruit Megatron and his cronies in this one at the beginning, the same human guys who executed Ratchet last time, like a dog in the street. We are fucking psychotic. It's a Transformers picture, and the Autobots are barely in it. The Decepticons feature even less. Introduced by name at the beginning, Suicide Squad style for their recruitment. I can't remember what they were called, but it's like it turns up and then like Megatron saying, "You must release the six brothers of the Asian Dawn." And, like, one of them's Bone Crusher, the other one's Maid Masher, the other one's Child Chewer, the other one's the Butcher Boy, the other one's the Gizzard Gulper, the other one's the Flesh Lump Eater. They they freeze-frame it, and, like, all of them are just horrendous racial stereotypes again. So it's not like I'm sad that they didn't have these Decepticons in here. But, right, when you're enlisting the aid of the Decepticons...
1: Do you think they might stab you in the back at some point?
0: And it's like, better the devil you know. No, you shot the heroes. What the fuck is wrong with you people? So anyway, the Decepticons disappear until the final battle, at which point my ability to hear was shattered by the cacophony of grinding sc- spiralling, squealing metal like a deserted aeroplane factory fucking itself to death. And in case you were wondering, yes, this franchise is still racist and sexist and littered with horribly mismanaged humour. Monomyth 2 is one of the driving forces of the stories that I love, and that too gets laid on the altar of Hasbro's grand plastic truck sale. They abuse the concept like a kid who's found his father's Galvatron, and they cause collateral damage to monomythology as they drag it kicking and screaming down into the doldrums whence they came, only to emerge soon with a cinematic universe that will make the worst of DC look like the best of Marvel. Seriously. The worst DC film... Whichever one you're thinking of, folks, it's still better than the best Transformers film. You may have used the phrase killing time in the past, but it takes a great deal of effort to actually kill time. Transformers 5 goes one louder and spends its duration actively torturing time. By the credits, time was simply a weeping, misshapen wreck with bits coming off it. On my way out of the theatre, I tripped over a fortnight. These are not films... They are ways of transforming joy into sadness and rage and money. Sweet, sweet money. By the way, Quintessa says, you will join me or I will destroy the entire race of Transformers. I don't know if I've ever heard that done before, but they call them that five times in this. They say, it's the Transformers. I don't think I... I, I, Maybe in the comics, maybe I'm forgetting... But they, they in
1: the movies they usually refer to them as aliens, don't they? And then they call them Autobots or Decepticons.
0: You know, we are the Autobots, they are the Decepticons. They make a very pertinent point to say two races fighting each other, but they're talking about humans and the machines. And fuck it, Christ knows what is going to happen in the future there was a a flashback to Bumblebee who apparently has been behind enemy lines he was fighting in World War 2 and he was disguised as an allied car shooting Nazis in this you didn't even need this sequence why are you doing this from the sounds of it Michael Bay really really wanted a King Arthur film and they wouldn't let him have King Arthur so he made one anyway
1: Question: how did we know it was Bumblebee
0: Um, because he looks like Bumblebee and Does people kept he saying was his Bumblebee. No, he was sort of a faded colour, but he's the same basic bot.
1: Because I'm just thinking a yellow vehicle in a war zone.
0: No. He's a sort of a pale-ish, grey-green olive drab. But it's only for about four seconds anyway, and he starts shooting Nazis. And I'm, I'm, I'd be fine with Transformers killing Nazis. You know, someone's got to do it. But... I don't trust this brand to do that. And I'm just so continuously appalled by what they come up with. You know, is I, a little exchange I put on out on, on Twitter. Um, well, I came back from the cinema. This movie is so stupid and boring. And someone said, what exactly did you expect from a transformers movie? Uh, To which I responded, a single concession to the progress of cinema. Because it's like they made their shitty movies up until the point when Marvel did the Avengers. And it's like, right, now at this point, you've got to advance. You can't just be doing the same thing over and over again. Like, the bar has been raised. The gauntlet has been thrown down. And it's not just Marvel. Loads of other blockbusters are getting better and better all the time. And his response was, you are not aware of Bay's oeuvre then. My response was simply, I hope. It was a different writing team. Now, yes, the story was Akiva Goldsman, the writer of Batman and Robin and The Winter's Tale, someone I have zero respect for and has a proven track record of bad stories and movies that fail – but he was just one of a big team. He's the one godfathering this new cinematic universe, and I thought new writing team like they're now doing a cinematic universe that suggests they're turning a corner. Aaron Kruger is not on this writing team. He was the one who wrote two, three, and four. I thought with him gone, maybe. And seeing Isabel, the uh, the the new you know fourteen year old um, Latina girl, I thought, well, that's great. And then Marky Mark calls her J Lo, and it's like you do realize that if she was a black man and you called her Coltrane, that would be racist, right? You know, when Royal Tenenbaum does that to Danny Glover, he gets offended and upset at that point because he should. And you've got to keep upwards. You can't kick downwards. Poor people can make fun of rich people and that can make for some great comedy. Rich people cannot make fun of poor people in comedy. It doesn't work like that.
1: Not unless they want to sound horrendous.
0: Yeah. But that's what Michael Bay's doing, with all these fucking shit scripts. And like he, he's like, oh, you you funny urban people. You talk like this and you all live with your mamas. <sighs> these This is a loathsome film series. And, um, you know, I could just have not seen it. I could just have not seen it and not commented on it. Um, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to not see it and then respond to all those people who want me to see it and at the same time see it, but not respond in kind, because all they're doing is shoveling the same old shit in my face. Or see it, but already know how bad it is before I see it, and go in there with preconceptions. Or see it, and not know what exactly happens in it, and come out and go, well, still taken on its own merits, and judged entirely in a vacuum, IT'S A PIECE OF SHIT! And then people are still going to say, what did you expect? I don't know, guys. As I said, I expect... The best from people. I want films to be good. I want things to succeed. I want things to get better. I don't go in thinking, well, this is going to be shit. Why would I waste my time? And my God, what a punishing length. This film... I felt the length of this one more than any previous Transformers film. It could be the fact that I'm ill right now, but I had this pounding headache the whole way through, and I was like, oh finish finish what's it been so far only 25 minutes god and it just went on and on and fucking on my god this film is so long and boring and stupid and boring fuck oh it's awful oh it's so bad oh one of the worst films i've ever seen one of the worst yeah you know what One of the worst cinema experiences I've ever had. I never saw three at the cinema. Or two. I did see four at the cinema. And that was horrible. Okay. The worst film up until this point this year was Assassin's Creed. Congratulations, Ass Creed. You get to come second to last. Because Transformers... The Last... Knight. And the last knight is Marky Mark, because there's a point where Optimus Prime is going to be killed by these nameless fucking guardian things, and Marky Mark runs in and goes, no! And the the Hujima flip on his arm turns into a sword, and so he gets a special magic sword to go with his special magic blood, and he blocks the sword blow, and he is the last knight. It's like, oh, cool! I mean, I hate Marky Mark, I hate seeing him on screen, I hate it when he turns out to be the chosen one. I hate it when anyone so unworthy turns out to be the chosen one. I hate the whole chosen one trope. But, so what's he going to do with that? Nope, never never going to use that again. Never going to use that power. Never going to use that sword. There's no plan for these movies. And the cinematic universe suggests there might be a plan. But every movie so far has gone, you did not know this, but we were here before. We came to the earth about a hundred years ago. And then the second one was like, we were on earth a hundred thousand years ago. And then the third one, it's like, we came... You didn't know this, but we came to the moon in the 60s. And then you went up to find us and we were on the moon. You didn't know that, but we were. And then the next one's like, you didn't know this, but we were here at the time of the dinosaurs. Just so we could have fucking Dinobots in this one. And this one, was like, you didn't know this, but we were here in the time of fucking King Arthur. And by this point, I'm like, how the fuck... Have they managed to hide themselves from history so well? Well, they're robots in disguise, aren't they?
1: Yes, but what did they disguise themselves as? The point of... Big fuck-off knights. in disguise is that there are lots of things these days that they can disguise themselves as.
2: Yeah.
1: A mountain.
0: It is an enormous pile of never-ending horse shit. I have...
1: There's (sighs) gotta be a pony in here
2: somewhere!
0: I... (sighs) Like I say, I hope. I hope that in crafting a cinematic universe, maybe handing it to people who aren't Michael Bay, other people can do better.
1: Can they do worse?
0: Than this, for me, they're going to have to struggle. I still hate three more. Three offended me on such a serious level that a couple of bits... We've talked about this in our podcast, but watching it again the other day really hurt. It was, we were watching it to listen to We Hate Movies talk about it, but um, the Leonard Nimoy saying, uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, just, it was like a oh, cold feeling in my stomach he- hearing that f- that sentiment twisted and warped by these idiots. And Prime... Murdering Megatron, ripping his spine out, and then coldly shooting his mentor in the head, and then with his one remaining arm saluting and going, "Yep, it, mankind is incredibly important. We will never forsake this Earth." Cut to the next film where humans are fucking executing Autobots in the street, but um, it's just such a like that at that point. Optimus Prime is broken and. The idea that he just... He doesn't feel anything in doing that. That, like, killing Megatron, a, pri- a previous brother of his. And, like, we were brothers once. Just like, just something to suggest that this is really deeply affecting him. And obviously he's horribly shell-shocked in the fourth one. But they don't explore it. Um, But the other thing that... And this is the real-world stuff. You know, I could go, Oh, you're fucking up, Optimus Prime. The cruelty and... Ignorance of Michael Bay himself when it comes to men's health issues and mental health issues in general. But he endlessly makes fun of men who genuinely need therapy. The idea being, if you need therapy, you're a wimp. If you've got problems, you need to fucking man up. Shia LaBeouf in 3 is freaking out. There are times when he's just screaming and kicking things and, like, smashing things apart and SCREAMING! And Shia LaBeouf was having and is still having severe mental problems at the time. And there's a point where um, the piece of shit Bumblebee looking car he's in gets lifted up and, and like like suspended in the air by a security system. And the guards move in with guns and he's screaming at them and screaming. And Michael's like, oh, it was great. Shia was going crazy at this point. Shia LaBeouf was in an auto accident a few years previously. He's having flashbacks. That's not acting. That's Shia LaBeouf losing it on camera and Michael Bay thinks it's hilarious.
3: We've got an energon reading! Get him into the vehicle! Whoa! You this oh, whoa! Out. Whoa! Oh, the Freeze! We're
2: freezing! Are you... Are you... Oh. Go. 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 Go.
3: go! I got him! Go! B. It's
2: me in there! Okay, alright! up! Yeah.
3: IUG is is Autobot. We're on the same team.
2: Yeah, enjoy your next job at Seven Eleven, dickhead. That's right.
3: Hey-ho.
0: That is a man screaming out for help. I don't like Shia LaBeouf, but he needed to be treated with respect, and you need to look after your actors. If your actors are manifestly upset, it is your job as a director, and it is the job of the producer to address that, to deal with that. Maybe not have Sam Witwicky going fucking crazy in this film. Maybe... I mean, not even maybe. Get, get Shire professional help if he doesn't already have it. And he didn't, and Shire left the series because why would you carry on working for someone who was that fucking heartless? And if you look up what Shia LaBeouf has gone through, um, his father was a soldier and had flashbacks... Ended up pointing his own gun at his son. Shire himself has had frequent episodes throughout his uh, adult career and you know blames himself for Indiana Jones that he, you know, he ruined the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull because everyone turned him into Jar Jar. Just this whipping boy for everything that was wrong with that. George Lucas raped my childhood and fucked Shia LaBeouf. It was the general consensus, I believe. He's not an actor I like seeing, But my God, this is a kid who needed help. And he quit acting because it was too much pressure. And unarguably Michael Bay was directly contributory to that. And Megan Fox compared him to Hitler. There's something in the fact that he is merciless in the way he treats people. And that I specifically feel like his derision of uh, psychology and, and constant negative reinforcement of of derision of western male emotional weakness not even like emotional weakness just basically being raw as fuck the idea that you shouldn't seek help or couldn't seek help and if you do you're a fucking pussy fuck you michael bay for that for reinforcing that from bad boys to onwards fuck you you fucking piece of shit So that's Transformers 5. Anything else?
1: I don't think there's any way I can really follow that. I was going to say something about the... That is particularly insidious and dangerous... When it's coupled with the militaristic fetishism... Mm. That goes with these movies as well.
0: You can't have one without the other. You can't constantly make the American military look fantastic... Without dealing with the fallout. These men come back from combat... And they have issues which need to be treated with maturity and respect. It's the news. It's the news screening the uh, setting off of um, artillery and bombing small countries and showing the incredible damage that it does to buildings. But shying away from the fact that this kills and maims lots of people. Michael Bay is the news. Look at our military might. Kills a lot of people. Yeah, but look at all these incredible explosions. It's fantastic. No one's going to fuck with us, right? I, um, I look forward to the day when we move past this, folks. I really do. Because it's bad for us. As a species. <sighs> so, um, that's Transformers 5. I wish they'd stop making these.